Well, amen. It's good to see you this morning and this brisk, cold day outside. Uh, maybe, hopefully, if you're like me, you're hoping that the Weather Channel is right, then after like Tuesday, we won't have to see it no more, all right? Hopefully, let's pray for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn to uh, the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. We will today finish up uh, chapter 13. And so it's taken us three weeks to get through that, kind of tell you kind of where we're headed for the next little while. So today uh, we'll finish chapter 13, uh, and then for the next three weeks we'll take a break and we're going to do a series leading up to Easter. And then the Sunday after Easter we will jump back into chapter 14. We'll go, we'll finish chapter 14 over the next couple weeks after that, and then we're going to take a pause at the end of chapter 14 for the summer. And so that's a good, just a good place for us to, to pause, to pump the brakes, and then we will jump into our, our summer series, if you will. And so anyway, that's where we'll be. <clears throat> Before we read the Word, I want to kind of set up kind of the context of the sermon and where the Scriptures are this morning. So for the past two weeks, uh, we have looked at... Uh, Paul's sermon uh, in Antioch, uh, Pisidia, where he uh, began to uh, really go through the discourse of Israel's history from uh, God calling Abram to himself and ultimately the culmination of Israel's history and all of the history of mankind that culminated in the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Uh, and, and then he moved towards how he fulfilled prophecies and ultimately that it is through him and him alone that man can get the forgiveness of sins. And we read in verse 39 last week, and for by everyone who believes in him is free from everything from which you cannot be freed from the law of Moses. And when Luke finished up last week, there was an invitation, but there was also a warning that we saw. So when we get to the text today, the sermon's done. Uh, the script, the, he, Paul is done. Uh, we see that he's been invited back and to, for him to begin to teach again the next Sabbath day. But when he gets there, he doesn't even get the opportunity to preach that things are already happening and God is already moving. And so this morning, what we're looking at is really the response to the sermon. Uh, to the, the response to Paul and Barnabas being there in Antioch. I and mean, how I want to set the framework is ultimately what I see in the text, and as I read it, I want you to point out that the word, specifically the word of the Lord, which would be the gospel, is essential to the text that we're looking at today. Uh, and this is what I see that we'll see in the text is that ultimately the gospel, uh, when we think about the gospel, oftentimes we think about unity and we think about unifying us. But what we also understand about the gospel is that it fractures things, that it separates, that it divides. And I'm reminded of Jesus, his own words in Matthew 10, 34 says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, but I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. That we understand is that the gospel, we don't just, when we think about the word gospel, it isn't just that we rally around and sing kumbaya and this lovey-dovey thing. That ultimately that the gospel is, 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 yes, it's unifying, but it's also divisive. It divides. And we understand that the gospel does, in fact, unite, but it divides first. The word, the gospel, but the word divides first the individual man. That individually, the word divides me. 
We understand that from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of the Lord of God is living and active and is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when it comes to the word, we understand that it, it divides even the individual, like even my thoughts. It, it discerns them, that it divides the deepest part, the fibers of who I am. But also the gospel divides groups. And that's what we'll see in this text is that there are those who believe and then those who uh, reject. That the, 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 the gospel is divisive in the sense that there are those who believe in Jesus and those who reject. There will be some that we see in the text that reject it and some that believe it. But what we need to see, and I'll be co- completely upfront with you from the beginning, there is no middle ground between the two. That the, that the gospel, it is divisive in the sense that it makes two groups of people. Ones who have rejected Jesus and the others who believe. And there is no middle ground in between those two. Whether you have chosen to believe in Christ or you have chosen to reject Christ. There is no middle ground and we see it exemplified in this text. The gospel is offensive and it doesn't just like to gather us in lovey-dovey hand-holding, but God uses, and this is what we see in the text, is that God will use those who believe this gospel to spread it. And those who reject it work foolishly trying to stop it. We also see in this text the tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility beautifully balanced in harmony. And so let's read the passage, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 44. So the next Sabbath, and so remember, they were in the, uh, in the synagogue on Sabbath, and that's when they began to preach, and so uh, they've been asked to come back. And so in verse 44, it says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, check that, and we move from like Jews and like Jewish converts or Gentile converts to Judaism, now the whole city, right? So get the picture there. It isn't just people who, uh, as we began, remember when Paul began this, are men of Israel and those who fear God. That's who the original context was. Now the whole city's there. So not people who had had their life cleaned up, not people who had converted to Judaism, not people who were born in Judaism, but the whole city. So now the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to what? Hear the word of the Lord. Remember, catching the theme, what's the central part of this text? says it's the word of the Lord or the word of God. So they gathered wine to hear the word of the Lord. Here's your context. And here comes your responses. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul had spoken. When I read that this week, I couldn't help but to think about Christ. Well, many times when we saw, and when Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? compassion. And here in this text, it says the Jews in seeing these crowds, not like Jesus having compassion, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, or even some translations say even blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God, there it is again, must be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. And behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light to the, for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, here's your second response. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying what? The word of the Lord. And many, as were appointed to eternal life, believed. And what? The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. 
But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray now as we open your word and dive into it, God, that you do what we can't do, and you'll speak to our hearts, God, that you'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe, God. We pray that today that you will draw those uh, who do not know you to believe in your son, to trust in your son. God, for those who in here who have been born again, who have trusted in Jesus, God, that we will honor, we will glorify you for appointing us to salvation, that it is not of us, it's a gift from you. And God, may we be amazed and and be filled with gratitude because of that reality. But God, may we respond in this text with an urgency to share your good news with those around us. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said... So I'm a little bit under the weather, got a little tickle in my throat. So if I start coughing, don't judge me. Luke's here, so he's in the bullpen. Uh, anyway, so as I said, what we see is that the word now has been preached, and what's going to happen is going to be a div- division that happens. And inside this, we see some beautiful things. And for, like I said, 44 sets the stage. So the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So in your mind, imagine that. Imagine Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary journey. They went to, to Cyprus, and you know there they were confronted with Bar-Jesus, a magician. But we see uh, that uh, the governor there became a believer. And then now they go up to Antioch in Pisidia, and they're sitting there in the synagogue. And they uh, really, this is Paul's first sermon. They don't know, uh, first recorded sermon, so we don't know how it's going to go and how it's going to respond. But ultimately, there's favor, right? There's at first, because what Luke talked about last week, and Verses 42 and 43, that there were people following them, that there were Jews and converts that were following Paul and, uh, Paul and Barnabas. But now the gospel's been preached, the word's been shared, and what we see in this text is that there are two different responses. First of all, there's a negative response if you're taking notes. Number one is the negative response. There's rejection and contradiction. See that in verses 45 and 46. So when the crowds gathered, when these, and I wanted to explicitly say this crowd will now be full of Gentiles. Not like Gentiles who want to be Jews, but Gentiles who are pagan. Gentiles who heard the message that everyone who believed can be forgiven. Now they're flocking in, right? So that's the context of what's going on. And seeing these pagans come in, if you will, hearing this message about a Messiah and things like that, the Jews see these pagans, these people who are not like them coming. And then what happens? They see them and they're filled with jealousy. They're filled with indignation. They're filled with, with anger, if you will, when they see these crowds coming. So much so that they began to contradict what Paul was saying. Does that sound familiar to when they were on Cyprus? That Bar-Jesus was trying to make what? Uh, Make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And so we see the attack of the enemy of trying to contradict or say different than what the Lord has said or what Paul has said. And so they began to contradict what Paul was spoken by Paul, but they began reviling him, saying nasty things about him. Your translation says even blaspheming, that they were even blaspheming God and blaspheming the word that Paul had preached. And so these Jews, listen to me, which is crazy, my heart breaks, the more 
more and more we go through the book of Acts, like here are these people for thousands of years who sit under the promises of God, who sit under the word of God and the promise of Messiah, and he came and they missed him. Like your heart breaks in a sense that th- these are the people that Jesus was sent for, and they, they miss it so much so that whenever these pagans, these outsiders, began to hear this message, they were filled with jealousy so much they began to try to contradict what Paul was saying. And how do things turn? As I said the, the, almost the whole city, these Gentiles were here. Why were the Gentiles there? Remember in verse 38 and 39 that Luke mentioned last week. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, being Jesus' forgiveness of sins, is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is free from everything from which law cannot free them from. The word everyone there literally means everyone. The Gentiles came because they heard this message that Paul was preaching that everyone who believes in Jesus can be saved, be forgiven, and be freed. And so they were there. But let me kind of bring you some more kind of context of what's even crazier here. If you have your Bible, it's not going to come up on the screen, but go back to verse 42. How How quickly things changed. So this is after the the warning that Paul gives at the end of his sermon. Now it says this, and as they went out, the people begged them, these begged that these things might be told of them the next Sabbath. So that's where when we pick up in verse 44, it's the next Sabbath. But check out this, verse 43. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke to him, watch what Paul and Barnabas tell them. Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. So let's paint this picture for a moment. A week earlier, these Jews, some of these Jews and converts, had evidently professed to believe, so much so that Paul and Barnabas would urge them to continue in the grace of God. Everybody with me? This means yes. So the context here is that just a week prior to this, these people evidently, some of these were actually professing Jesus. And then in a week later, we see them rejecting Jesus. And in a week later, we see them rejecting. And, and I want you to just, just as a side note, notice that, that Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God, not the law of God, which is a beautiful picture talking to these Jews, continuing in grace. And, and, and really, because Paul and Barnabas wouldn't have known if these people were truly converts or not. They hadn't made a profession. And so what did Paul do? I, I urge you to continue in grace. Why? Because perseverance is the test of authentic salvation. Uh, Perseverance is the test of authentic being born again. We see that over and over again in in Scripture. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain. They were not of us. Ultimately, no one knows man's heart. But what we understand is continuing to abide is the fruit of true belief. John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Colossians 1, and I wanted to take a time out here because we don't talk about it often as we should, but there is a huge emphasis in the New Testament about if you remain, if you continue, if you abide. 
And we see it in Colossians 1, 21 through 23. It says, And you who were once alienated and hostile of mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Awesome. And that sounds great. Right? That's the, that's the part of the gospel they're going to cling to. That, that sounds great that, that Christ has died and he, in his flesh and, and he wants, he's going to present his holy and blameless. But check out what verse 23 says. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, now, shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so they're professing evidently. And Paul and Barnabas says, continue on. We urge you to continue in the grace of God. Because a week earlier, they were following Paul and Barnabas and being urged. And a week later, they were furious, contradicting, and blaspheming. What happened? How could it change so quickly? And this is just, they were prejudiced. They didn't want Gentiles to come in. The good news sounded great and say, Justin, what are you talking about? Listen to me. They didn't want to give up their pride or their prejudice in order to follow Jesus. And this is the reason for people rejecting Jesus today. It may not be prejudice, but anything from sexual sin to prejudice to everything in between and underneath, that what keeps man from following Jesus or keeps man on rejecting Jesus is they don't want to give up their own view of themselves or their, or their own sin in their life. They don't, they don't want to give up on what they hold true and what hold the hell value. They don't want to stop catering to themselves. What happened it's because everything sounded okay until these people who I think are the scum of the earth are now included. So much so that they would call them dogs. Which is, man, the way that Luke writes it at the end of this, there was, and I've told you this before, there were, this is how much the Jews hated the Gentiles, is that if they were traveling through Gentile lands, before crossing from Gentile land to Jew land, what they would do is they would dust off their shoes because they didn't want to carry the dirt of Gentile lands pagan lands into their country. What kept them from believing, what kept them from continuing, what kept them from actually believing in Jesus, because they may have wanted forgiveness, but they wanted it their way. Not the way in which God had planned. Ultimately, men today don't want to give up their sin and that's why they reject Jesus. And listen to me, watch this. It may come in many forms, excuses, or reasons, but ultimately it's because they do not want to give up the lifestyle in which they serve themselves ultimately. It may come with excuses of, man, the church did this to me. Or my, I, I, this is what happened to me. I don't, I don't trust in Jesus because of this. Listen to me. Ultimately, and I know I'm not saying if that's you that you're lying, but ultimately what it comes down to is we reject Jesus in this gospel presentation is because ultimately I don't want to, I don't want to surrender to his lordship. And we can throw excuses in everywhere direction and blame it on so-and-so and this and that. But ultimately what it boils down to is I want to be the Lord of my own life. And so we see them respond in this manner in verse 46 as they're, as they're, as things are getting louder and more intense, so do Paul and Barnabas. We see this in verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And that's a beautiful picture. As it intensified, so did their boldness. As slander intensified, so did their boldness. And check out what, I don't know how they did this, but it says they both, they, they both are speaking out boldly. So I don't know if the Holy Spirit was, they were speaking the same words at the same time, which would be cool. 
Luke, we should try that out one Sunday. Stand up here and see if we say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> we'd be here for a long time uh, if both of us were up here. But it says that Paul and Barnabas began to speak boldly, and this is what they said. And we've seen this already in their missionary journeys. At first, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you. We've seen that already when they got to Cyprus. Where did they go first? The Jewish synagogue. When they got to Antioch, Pisidia, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And even after this, they'll still go there. And ultimately, even after this passage, it was Paul's heart. It was his heart's longing that his brothers would, know, would believe in Jesus. Even at the end of this text, when they dust their shoes off as if the Jews would do to the Gentiles, it was still deep down his heart's desire that the Jews would come to know Jesus. And so it was necessary. Why? Because that was God's plan. God's plan, if you will, his desire was that the the Jews would believe and that the Jews would become the missionaries, right? That's the picture. But so they went to them first. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. And check out this, the harshness of this. Since then you thrust it aside. What a word to, to use in rejection. Like it wasn't just you thought about it and chose not to believe it. You, you thrust it aside. As in through your pride, you pridefully said, that's not for me. Pridefully said, sounds good, but I don't trust in him. Sounds good, but I don't believe in a God who would save everyone or could save anybody. They thrust it aside and check out what happened. So they rejected, and look what he says, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Man, that wouldn't be too encouraging every Sunday in churches around here if I, at the end of invitation, if I said, and if you choose not to follow Jesus today, then you are judging yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I wouldn't, y'all probably would stop coming. But that's what Paul does. He listen to me. By you rejecting Jesus, rejecting this truth, then you've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. And which is the, really the first doctrine, big doctrine that we see in these few verses, it's the doctrine of human responsibility. That I believe in human responsibility. I believe that every man will be responsible to what they do with Christ. That in the judgment seat, when we stand before our creator, we will be held accountable for what we've done. And listen to me, especially you who are sitting in this room because you've heard the gospel of Jesus. We will all be responsible for what we've done. So let's don't let our mind, like this morning, let's don't let our mind go to the, the country in the deep Himalayas or high Himalayas in India where they've never heard the gospel. Let's don't use that excuse to reject Jesus today. Okay? All of us have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we will be responsible in how we respond to it. We will be, God will hold us responsible by how. And this ultimately, we see this in John 3, 18, Jesus' own words. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not, a, not believed in the name of Jesus. He's ultimately, you're condemned. Why? Because you don't believe in Jesus. Ultimately, you're condemning yourself by not trusting in Jesus and believing in Jesus. John 5, 39 and 40, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What is the thing here? Is 
in rejection of Jesus, all of us ultimately judge ourselves unworthy to eternal life. Damnation is the result of rejecting Christ. I've heard this illustration many times. I don't know who I originally heard it from. It would be like if we, if we went to, was the, the Mona Lisa in Paris? If we would go to Paris and we would go, what's the name of that museum? Yeah, the Louvre. If I, anyway, I'm not smart, y'all, but this illustration is going to work. If we went to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa, and when we were sitting there, if I brought us, or if, actually, let's put it like if Michael Tress, I feel like you may be better at this. If Michael Tress brought me in there, because I'm the dummy, uh, and we were looking at the Mona Lisa, and I said, nah, I don't know if that's any good. Michael could look at me and said, the Mona Lisa's not on trial. It's already been stated that it is good art. You're on trial what you do with it. You're on trial about how you perceive it. It'd be if you think about music and the most classically trained things, it's like the world-renowned orchestras. It doesn't matter what your judgment is. They've already been declared world-renowned orchestra. It doesn't matter how you judge. They're not on trial. You are. And when it comes to Jesus, I mean, Jesus is not on trial anymore, y'all. God's already declared him the Messiah, the Lord of all, the Savior of all mankind, that only through him can man be saved. He's not on trial. We are in how we respond to what's been revealed. And every man, just like these Jews, man judges himself unfit for eternal life by the rejection of Christ as the Messiah. And the very one they longed for, the promises they had trusted in, they rejected him. And so what we see first in this text is that, man, they're held, they, by their own decisions, God will hold them accountable in judgment. All right with me? It's the first thing we see here. Then, so that's the first response. It's a negative one. It's of rejection in contradiction, the second we see is the positive one. It's belief in the spreading of this word. See in verses 47 through 49, it says, For as, so sorry, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, This is awesome. And Paul is using the prophet Isaiah to, to, to say, Hey, this is what God's call is on our life. He's using prophecy about the Messiah and the ones that are being a light unto the Gentiles. And he says, so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What an incredible proclamation. And what happens when the Gentiles hear it? It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. They rejoiced that salvation could be theirs, that they can know the God who created them, that their sins could be forgiven, that it was the greatest news. It seemed too good to be true. This whole, this whole, their whole existence, they were the outside of the camp, but now they hear this message that they could be brought into the family and they rejoice. Hey, that's me and you, BT-dub. Like anytime we hear the gospel, we should be like these Gentiles going, oh, I'm rejoicing. This is too good to be true that, that God sent these men to be a light to the Gentile, that salvation could go to the ends of the earth. Because listen to me, back here, we were the ends of the earth. They rejoiced. And what did they do? They glorified Paul and Barnabas. No, they glorified what the word of the Lord, this, this gospel message that came and it said salvation has come to the Gentiles. This good news gospel, they glorified saying, man, God has made a way. They glorified the word of the Lord. 
And then we get this verse, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And so two verses earlier, we have this idea that God is going to hold every man accountable for what he or she does with Jesus. And then what about the Gentiles? Luke writes that as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. Notice that text does not say, and many who believe were appointed to eternal life. Here you have the other doctrine in this text of God's sovereignty and salvation. So in one sense, you have man being held accountable for, for their, all of his life, his decisions, her decisions. The other side is that here God has appointed those, all who were appointed, as in past tense, all who were appointed that day believed, or they believed on that day. Here we have the doctrine of God's Sovereignty and election or salvation. In verse 46, we have God, man's responsibility. Now, verse 48, we have God's sovereignty. And this is what I believe is that the Bible is clear that in salvation that God chooses man. That there's not a single one of us that would say if we got to heaven and somebody were to ask us, no, how did, you know, think about it in context because we all have people in our life Maybe if you grew up in church, there are people who you grew up in church with, youth group or whatever, that y'all sit under the same preaching, under the same teaching, but they haven't trusted in Jesus and you have. If you were to get to heaven, if I were to get to heaven, and somebody would ask me, hey, how come you got here but so-and-so didn't? Not, not, not at one moment would I say, because I was smarter than so-and-so. Well, it's because God called me. All I heard was God's invitation to believe God called me to himself. That we understand that even in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, I think it's going to come up. Maybe. Yeah. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So when, when, when did we get chosen? Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to what? The purpose of his will. The Bible is clear, and John MacArthur says it like this, the matter of human will and divine election is so inscrutable, so incomprehensible to our minds as to demand that we believe both without being able to comprehend how they fit together in God's mind. Luke's got to stand up, Luke, and spin around. He mentioned this sweatshirt last week. This is off a, it was a Spurgeon, Jared, Spurgeon quote. Uh, you don't reconcile friends. And it's a picture of God's responsibility, one hand, or God, a man's responsibility and God's sovereignty, two hands shaking. Thanks, Luke. That was not planned. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the picture is that we see it all through Scripture. And, and, and just to go even more, let's look at the word that he uses. He says, and as many were were appointed, and this speaks of, to inscribe or to enroll. And, and, and so and it, the word appointed, and what it indicates to us that this was a, a past event that, that had already happened, that was decided, that has effects in, in today and in the future. And there was something that was decided back here. It was appointed, I, were appointed back here, that now ultimately what that means is, is that these Gentiles were appointed to salvation way before Paul and Barnabas got there to preach. Are you with me? Am I scaring some of you? So he's talking about... But that's the pictures that we see in, even in this text that both of these are shaking hands. What we see is both of these are working together. 
before, as it were, appointed, past tense. Wait, wait, God appointed, enrolled, or chose men before the foundation of the world. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Wait, didn't you say in verse 46 that man was responsible for the choosing and rejection of Jesus? Yes. How do these fit together? Yes. <laughs> yes is my answer. <laughs> Here's a quote by J.I. Packer. This particular antinomy, uh, if you don't know what that means, it's a contradiction between two beliefs or conclusions that are they themselves reasonable. So you have two truths that seem, compromise, they seem conflicting, but they're both, yes, they're both right. Both in. And so he says, between these two, which concerns us here is the apparent opposition between the divine sovereignty and human responsibility, or between what God does as king or what he does as judge. Scripture teaches that as king, he orders and controls all things, humans' actions among them, in accordance with his own eternal purpose. Scripture also teaches that as judge, he holds every man responsible for the choices he makes and courses of action he pursues. Thus, hearers of the gospel are responsible for their reaction. If they reject the good news, they are guilty of unbelief. Man without Christ is a guilty sinner, unanswerable uh, answerable to God for breaking his law. That is why he needs the gospel. When he hears the gospel, he, he is responsible for the decision he makes about it and sets before him a choice between life and death and the most um, momentous choice that any man can ever face when, he, when we preach the promises and invitations of the gospel and offer Christ to sinful men and women, it is part of our, last, our, our, our job to emphasize and reemphasize that they are responsible to God for the way in which they react to the good news of his grace. So what's, what's the take home from these two? Firstly, appointment to eternal life is the cause of belief, not the result of it. My faith is owing to God's grace. And from this text, I can understand that we are rescued from our own self-destruction. But here's the take home that we need to really drive home with. We can look at this text and say that we offer the gospel to everyone without discrimination. Regardless of where you land on this side of things, we offer the gospel to everyone without discrimination. And here's how we do it. We rest in the fact that God does the saving. But we share with urgency because all men will be held accountable for their decisions. <laughs> Application would be, you think about this in humility and thankfulness and even hope for the hardest of sinners. That those, all who God has appointed to eternal, to eternal life will believe. Regardless of how hard their heart may be at this moment, it's hope that we have. And I don't have to think about I'm the one who's in charge of saving. I rest that God will save all who's appointed. But I don't, I'm not a fruit checker. I don't know who those people are. So I share the gospel with everybody without discrimination with urgency because all of us will stand before our creator and, and, and be judged by what we've done with this gospel. And 
and this is not in the text, but I'm going to jump outside of it. We will, we will all give account to our creator. Listen to even as, a, as a believers, we will be judged by what we've done. Our works will be judged. Right? Like, this idea of standing before our creator, we will stand before our Savior and our Lord as well. And I don't want to be found guilty of not urgently sharing this good news. So we see the negative, see the positive, and it says that they, what do they do? What's a, what, here's, the, here's a good fruit of evangelism, here's the good fruit of God doing the work, is that evangelism flowed from it. What do we see in verse 48 in the word of the what? The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So they responded in belief in the spreading of this good news. Both of these responses had results that we see at the end of this text in verses 50 through 52. The result is persecution on one side. The other one is joy. That the negative response, they responded in persecution. The positive response resulted in joy. Verse 50, it says, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. I thought this was weird when I first read that. But evidently back then, so when you think about these high leading officials, don't think about like, you know, rabbis and that. Think about political leaders, even Roman, like people who were pagans, right? What would happen is because all the infidelity and things like that, what they would do is many of the women of these high standing officials would not necessarily convert to Judaism, but they would hang close to Judaism because Judaism's uh, belief in teaching on the home and the family. It, it attracted them. So evidently the synagogues were full of, of women, wives, who their husbands were high-leading officials, and they would, make, they would just stay close to Judaism because their values. You know what I mean? And what, what did the Jews do? They used that. Right? Like you see it, it it's, it's, it's horrendous. They used this idea of them, these ladies who were interested in this, what? To, for their own motive. Very political thing that we see. Says they of high standing leading men of, of the city, and they started a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out. Persecution began. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read in uh, verse 11 My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystria, were, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So we know that Paul was persecuted here in Antioch. And some even believe that the beating with rods and whips in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 would be here in Antioch. There's can't really see that expected, but that's what many believe. And so one responds in persecution, and it's futile. As we've seen over and over again, they reject it, they try to contradict it, they try to stomp it out, but it doesn't happen. So that's one group. They responded in a way that was rejection and contradiction, persecution, and it failed miserably. Because the Lord, what did Paul say? The Lord spared me every time. And then you had the other group, the Gentiles, who rejoiced and glorified the word and believed. Verse 51, it says, but they shook, oh, let me, <laughs> but this is the, the futility of their action, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, the shaking off the dust, as I've already mentioned, is a symbolism. 
in Luke chapter 10, verse 10 through 12, when Jesus is sending out his disciples, it says, uh, but whenever you enter a town and they, they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it'd be more bearable on that day for Sodom than this town. You see the seriousness of whenever Paul and Barnabas wiped the dust off from their feet. This Gentile dirt, ultimately, these Jews were regarded as pagans because their rejection of the Messiah. But then it says in verse 53, and the disciples, and I tend to believe this is the disciples here in Antioch that became born again, they were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. So in one sense, you have a a response that leads to futility and hopelessness and frustration. The other, you have one who responds in or ends in peace and joy and being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You follow me? And listen to me. It's, it's so clear this morning. If I've ever been as clear as if, I've, if I, I can't even talk, so I can't be clear. If there's ever a moment that I wanted to be crystal clear, it is, it is today. If you sat under the sound of my voice today, you've been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God calls. And there may be sitting, someone sitting even in a room today where God is calling. And I can't tell you how everything intertwines and where does God's hand stretch this far, man's hand stretch this far. Is it, is it, like, I can't tell you, but I do know this, that God is calling when his gospel is preached and we're responsible how we respond. All the in and out details, I don't know. They're too far from my mind to comprehend. But I rest that God will save who he's calling, but I urgently want to tell you that you will face judgment for your decision. Will you trust in him this morning? Will you place your faith in him? What we've seen, and Luke talked about last week, is the Jews' familiarity ultimately caused them to miss out on the Messiah. They were just close enough that they were, in, they were, they were their own worst enemy. I share this often that some, for some of us, we know just enough about Christ to be dangerous to ourselves. We know just enough what it means to be a Christian to be dangerous to ourselves in a sense that we, get, we settle for a false sense of assurance. Because I know just enough, and in essence, I'm my own worst enemy. It's, it's black and white. It's crystal clear Rather, you have trusted in Jesus, and that means I repent of my sin. I die to myself. I am no longer the Lord of my life. He is. And that doesn't mean I walk perfectly, but that means I walk faithfully. That means that when I do sin, I continue to repent. I confess my sin. I'm not perfect, but my life is under the Lordship of Jesus. Rather, you have done that or you have rejected it. You have, what is the word he uses again? He thrust it aside pridefully says, I don't need Jesus. Well, I'm good enough and just trust in what I got. I beseech you. I beg you. I plead with you. Trust in the Lord today. I'm going to pray and 
Daniel and the team are going to come lead us, but we're going to have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper together uh, this morning. And what a great morning to be able to take of the Lord's Supper in this, this, this beautiful gospel that we celebrate, this, this picture that, that, that man left to himself would never turn to God, yet God, who is rich in mercy, sent forth his son. And now he says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can't define you all the ins and outs of whosoever wills, but I can say is whoever, so, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, he will save you. I can be confident of that statement. Will you trust in him? To be taken to the Lord's Supper here at Cross Point, you don't have to be a member of Cross Point, but we do ask you to be a part of the whosoever will. We ask you to be the ones who have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I get done praying, the deacons will be, one to be here, and there'll be one on each side holding our COVID cups. And uh, you're welcome to move forward and get those whenever we get to that point, and uh, we'll get in line and come and get them, and we'll go back to our seats, and there's rain standing, and we'll take it together. Do something a little different than normal. Not like any. I'm not getting crazy, so don't freak out, Daniel. I do anything crazy, but I really believe that maybe God is calling somebody. There, He's appointed like today is the day of salvation, and you've rejected it. You've put it off in whatever form or fashion that looks like. Through God's mercy, He's given you another opportunity to respond. Because we're not promised how many times that will happen. I believe that too. Today he's calling you. Will you trust in him? Me and Luke are going to be standing in the back during this time. If you want to trust in Jesus, just come to us. Say, hey, I need to trust in Jesus. I, want to, I don't want to thrust him off anymore. I want to believe in him. And if you're a lady and you don't feel comfortable talking to us, we have ladies that we'll connect you with. But that's, that's the invitation today. The first invitation is to, to not thr- stop thrusting it aside. Because when we do, we judge ourselves unfit for eternal life. But God in his mercy is reaching down again today. Will you trust? Will you believe? Stop throwing it off. Father of Christ, my imploring of you today is to trust, rest in God's sovereignty, but don't let that be a cop-out to be lazy in evangelism. We are called. Why? Because man is responsible for what they do with the Lord. I'm going to pray. We're all going to stand. Daniel and them will be up here. Uh, and then in a moment, uh, I'll come up here and I'll direct it. We'll just, just go with the flow. Come up here and play. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for this opportunity. Just to sit under your word. God, we thank you for your sovereignty. God, we thank you that you sovereignly rule all things, orchestrate all things for your plan and your purposes. God, we thank you that your purposes are beyond my comprehension. But you have revealed what is necessary in your word to know you and to be saved. God, I pray if anybody sitting in here under the sound of my voice in this room or online or even watches it later on this week, God, today you will draw them that they'll stop tossing aside this gospel message. 
that they will be convicted, that they will stand before their creator one day. But you've made a way that that day is not one of fear, of judgment, or wrath, but of joy, peace, and acceptance into your presence for all of eternity. Father, your word says we're sin abounded and grace abounded all the more. Now we're sinful people, but your grace is greater than all of our sin. So if there's anyone sitting in here, maybe even the enemy is whispering words of guilt and condemnation that their sin, even their sin of rejecting you up to this point in their life has, has disqualified them from your grace. God, may your Holy Spirit shower grace over that. God, that there is no sin apart from continual rejection of your son. That today, if they believe in you, God, that they will be saved. We love you. It's in Christ and we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And if you need to talk, like I said, me and Luke will be back there in the back. You can go ahead and start singing. And if you're ready to take of the Lord's Supper as the deacons go ahead and come down, uh, you can go ahead and come get your uh, elements there. And in a moment, I'll come up and lead us. And so uh, maybe you need to just do the business with the Lord where you're standing, but you move at your own pace to come when you're ready uh, to get of the cup. And then in a moment, I'll come lead us.